0: Thank you. Welcome to Mytho Ladies, the podcast where we talk about women from mythology and folklore all over the world. We're your hosts. I'm Zoe. And I'm Lizzie. And how are you today, Zoe?
1: I'm all right. I realized that I only have like four weeks left in the semester, which is crazy. That is not including Thanksgiving week, uh, which is mainly off for me because I live in the US. But still, that's quite a revelation to have.
0: I have a lot that I will have to be getting done. So that's exciting. But how are you, Lizzie? I'm good there's this cat that lives somewhere near me and he's always coming in my window but like basically every single day and spending a bunch of hours hanging out with me which is really fun like it's like I kind of have a cat that's really sort of good to someone else and they probably don't even know that he comes into my window and hangs out with me you, but it's you know
1: for sure it's someone else's cat
0: I mean I assume so because I live high up but I don't think he. Could oh true get true true, true true yeah Mm-hmm. Otherwise, but he doesn't have a collar
1: Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of cats don't wear collars My sister's cat doesn't wear a collar because she hates it He's literally at my window right oh now Oh my gosh, hello so I not
0: let you in because I'm recording <laughs> Oh, so sad Thought I usually let him in when he meows at my window because I love him oh, Do you have a name for him? We call him Marvin That's so cute He's adorable, I love him Has he brought you any presents? No, but I do have a ribbon I use to play with him And he sometimes brings it to me to play with Oh, that's so cute. It's literally so cute. <laughs> but it's also, he also tries to steal it sometimes. Like He tries to go out the window with it. And I have to stop him. Because like, if I didn't have that ribbon, what would I play with him with? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. So I have to grab it. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. He's really funny. Yeah. Anyway, so before we begin, we would just like to remind you all that if you would like to listen to our bonus content or just to support us financially, you can either support us on Ko-fi or or on spotify subscriptions both of which are linked in the show notes
1: well we have bonus episodes we got three bonus episodes so if you subscribe um or uh donate we will you will be able to listen to those episodes so that's cool and fun
0: and they are very fun and they're more laid back than our main episodes
1: (laughs) Uh uh-huh we get to we, we share our real thoughts our real <laughs> thoughts and opinions. Uncensored. Uncensored. Lizzie and Zoe uncut. We get to tell you what we really think about Greek mythology rewrites. Um we have many opinions. But exactly. anyways. Yeah. No, we do share our real thoughts here too. But
0: yeah. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just trying to entice you all to listen. Yes. No, you should.
1: They're really fun. I like them all. They are they are very really fun. fun and interesting.
0: But anyway so who are we talking about today?
1: So Lizzie, don't look behind you because today I'm talking about Lot's wife oh okay do you know lot the story of Lot's wife
0: that is in the Bible
1: yes it exists in Judaism, Islam and Christianity um do
0: you know the story? okay maybe I maybe I don't maybe I don't know okay. I'm
1: going to just read you the biblical passage um, in which she is mentioned. Um, This is from the New American Bible Revised Edition from Genesis chapter 19, verses 20 through 26. The sun had risen over the earth when Lot arrived in Zoar, and the Lord rained down sulfur upon Sodom and Gomorrah, fire from the Lord out of heaven. He overthrew those cities and the whole plain, together with the inhabitants of the cities and the produce of the soil. But Lot's wife looked back, and she was turned into a pillar of salt."
0: Oh. The okay. End.
1: So that oh, that's, so that's, that's that's it. That's it. That's what we got from her.
0: That's so interesting. That, okay. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to finding out more.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the full story is that this is the story of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, which is actually quite a hot button uh biblical story for various reasons. And the story as it's told is that there is a city called Sodom in which the inhabitants are doing all sorts of evil and wicked things. Um, and God wants and to destroy it. I would guess it. that's
0: where sodomy comes from.
1: It is where sodomy comes from. Yes, you're right. Um And Abraham asks that he wait a minute, and if uh, Abraham can find 50 truly good people within the city, then will God spare the city? And God agrees to this, and then Abraham sort of continues like bartering and reduces the number until God agrees to spare the city if Abraham finds 10 good people. And then two angels go to Sodom in the evening to the house of Lot, who is a good and righteous man, and he invites them into the house and hosts them. Meanwhile, a crowd of angry townsmen surround the house and demand that Lot bring out the new men and the angels in town. And a lot of the versions of the story are a demand that the people of the town can have sex with the angels. But Lot refuses and also offers his daughters instead, which is a very, is a questionable choice, but they refuse that. And then finally, the crowd drives them all out and Lot leaves with his wife and daughters. Um, They are the only ones who escape the destruction of the city, although, as we know, his wife do, um, the Lord tells them as they're leaving to keep going, don't look back. But the his wife disobeys the Lord, turns back, and is turned into a pillar of salt because of because she disobeys.
0: That's very Eurydicean.
1: Uh huh. We will talk about that a little bit, just a little bit. And so, to when we're talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, I I do want to mention the fact that like this is a story that is used a lot um, by homophobic conservative Christians to justify their bigotry and their hatred of LGBT plus people. Mm. And I feel like I could talk about scholar studies which discuss whether the sins of Sodom was homosexuality or not. Um, I've could I looked at studies, I typed up summaries of the like the the thoughts and scholars. Um, And whether or not the scriptures are homophobic texts. But I think that is honestly kind of pointless because regardless of whether like you could go down to the real meat of it and like look at the specific words and translations and stuff and different interpretations and where these interpretations come from all you want. But regardless of like what the actual text is, the fact is it's being used in this way, regardless of like what the actual meaning could or couldn't be. Yeah. And the homophobic fundamental Christian that is using this text for it's uh, for their own personal like agenda is not gonna care that oh this verb actually means this um, and so therefore you're wrong like they're not gonna care about that you know what I mean yeah and so I think like it's kind of like pointless to really get into the weeds of it because like regardless of like what it actually says like it's still being used in this way Um, and I also feel like. Regardless of what the original tension of the writers of the story was and what actually happened, which are both things that are basically impossible to prove definitively, we can't improve, like, prove the original attention of whoever wrote the story down first or what actually happened in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Like, we, it's too far, far, like, long ago. What is written in the sacred text of a specific religion or specific religions should not be the basis for determining uh, an entire group of people's right to exist happily and be who w- with who they love, etc, like regardless of what a specific text said that shouldn't like determine people's basic human rights, um,
0: Yeah, definitely. So I uh, just realized why you said it. before, don't look behind you, it's lots of life. Yeah. <laughs> I realized that didn't work. I, I guess you it didn't took know. me a few minutes. In, um, in my defense, yeah. I have a picture of Medusa on my wall, so I was like, oh, it's something to do with Medusa. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah,
1: that's very fair. But yeah. So yeah, that's my anyway, little thought about... It um, took me a
0: few minutes to process that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
1: Sodom and Gomorrah, and it's like, yeah, I mean, there are, if it is important to you Wait, so Sodom,
0: uh, Sodom and Gomorrah are like equally sinful or like...
1: Yeah, um, they're both like evil, s- sinful
0: cities, and they get destroyed. Okay, so even though sodomy is from Sodom, they're like, they're equal.
1: Yeah. It, yeah. So the story seems to like base in the Bible seems to basically focus on Sodom, which is why we get Sodomy, Sodomite, things like that. But then also there's also Gomorrah. Got it. But yeah, so those are my thoughts about this story. And um, I do think it's important to acknowledge because this is like a real significant thing. But also
0: there's very little to go off of. It's like three yeah. sentences.
1: But uh, yeah but also like, and if it's really important for you personally you can look up texts that will be like this is why this story isn't actually homophobic or why like there's proof that like these uh, scriptures and texts aren't actually like homophobic um you can find those if you want but i just felt like going into the weeds of it for the sake of this episode was not was kind of pointless
0: yeah if that makes sense i mean sense. if you have the bias against gay people already It's not going to matter the facts.
1: Yeah, like people who are bigoted don't actually care about facts. They care about their own personal agendas. And they don't care about hypocrisy.
0: And there can Um, be very little, like little to no actual evidence of homophobia, but they will find it if that's what they truly want to believe.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, But anyway, so that's the story is that's the only time she's mentioned in... Like, that's the that's her story, full story. She's escaping from the city with her husband and and children, and she turns back and is turned into a pillar of salt, and that is her story as a whole.
0: Okay, a question. Do we know what happens to her when she's a pillar of salt?
1: Well, so there's actually a few different things that happen. So some stories say that she, like, dissolves because salt dissolves. But there's actually um the idea of Lot's wife as a pillar of salt became an important, like, pilgrimage site for Christians, particularly, especially in the Middle Ages. So when people would travel to, like, Palestine um, in the Mm -hmm. Middle Ages to do their, like, uh, pilgrimaging, as they did, um, a big thing was to find, like, the pillar of salt that was Lot's wife. And so that was actually, like, an important site, which implies that, like, she didn't disappear at all. She Mm -hmm. was still standing. There are actually some... um, Geographic, there is a geographic feature near the Dead Sea at Mount Sodom, um, which is like considered to be potentially Lot's wife, a pillar of salt. And there's actually also several other geographic features that have been named after Lot's wife ever since. Like not in hmm. that area, but like you find like a large feature that's made of like um, salt, and you'd be like, "Oh, that's the Lot's wife island now," or something like that.
0: I'm assuming you'll talk about this, but like, is there a specific? significance to salt. Yeah,
1: there actually there actually is. So, one of the um beliefs for the salt is that she sinned with salt quote unquote. So, this is not in the Bible or in any of the texts, but like I think one of the um stories about it is that when she was preparing a meal for the angels, she realized she didn't have any salt and so she went to one of her neighbors to borrow some salt. And then since she went to borrow some salt, she alerted their neighbors to the presence of guests in their house, and that led to the angry mob forming. And so, therefore, because she caused this, like, incident to happen, she was turned into salt as punishment. There are also, like, interpretations of salt being, you know, something that kind of is a dead thing. You know, if you, like, salt the fields, nothing can grow there because it destroys, like, the it's not, like, healthy soil that plants can grow in. And then there are okay. also people that, like, have analyzed it as, like, she's a mound of cal- like of evaporated tears or something like that, you know?
0: Okay. Um, I mean, yeah, that all makes sense. Isn't salt kind of, like, a purifying substance? It is a purifying
1: substance, too. So, like, you know, she was turned into, like, a purifying substance because she was, like, sinful. So she, you know, got turned into it. Yeah.
0: Just cleansed. Mm-hmm.
1: Or like she evaporated and all that was left was salt, you know, like disintegrated. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, um, so the traditional analysis is generally that she was punished for disobeying the warning to not look back. So first of all. Second of all, by looking back, she revealed a secret desire for the sinful life that she was leaving behind in the cities. Okay. And so therefore, since she was showing a secret longing for that sinful life, she didn't deserve to live and deserved to be destroyed like the rest of the people in those cities at the time. Mm -hmm. Another possible interpretation is that um, Lot's wife witnessed God descending down upon the city in the destruction and therefore as a normal human couldn't bear, like her body physically couldn't stand to see God's glory and therefore Mm -hmm. disintegrated into salt, which I think is interesting personally. Um, I think is a fun little story. Then, in the text Lot's Wife is Still Standing by Catherine Lowe, Lowe offers the commentary that when Lot's wife appears in Tagumum, which is translations and commentary of the Hebrew Bible into Aramaic, she serves as a monument in liminal territory, on the cusp of salvation, but not quite, lingering on the hope of repentance or at least the possibility she could experience future judgment. Therefore, authors evoke her during a time when conversations around resurrection ideas about God's imminent judgment were expanding. So, like Another interpretation of her story is that, like, she exists on the border between damnation and salvation. And she sort mm-hmm. of shows, like, the what happens if you, like, waver on the border between the two. Because she was, like, so close to freedom and, like, being saved and she just hesitated for a moment and then got destroyed. It's like the idea is you can't
0: hesitate at all. But what if she didn't hesitate and she just wanted to see... I mean, that's like, that was her home. I mean, of course she's gonna want to sort of mourn the loss of her home, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the
1: thing, isn't it? Like, that's the thing about Lot's wife that I find really compelling. And I'm going to want to talk a bit more about that later. But, Like, I mean, of course, this is like a religious text. Religious texts aren't always the most well-developed when it comes to characters and character (laughs) motivations. But it's also like, it's an incredibly human thing to look back at, like, your home. Definitely. Even if it was evil and sinful, and, like, you got dr- driven out of it by an angry mob to, like, look back at it because you're never going to see it again. It's about to be destroyed. Like, to look back is completely normal. And so the fact that she suffered such, like, an extreme fate is just, like, very compelling and, like, tragic to me as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. Because that is that is a very normal thing to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, like, yeah. Orpheus, which I assume we'll talk about in a bit, so I'll, like, leave you to that yeah. in your own time. But yeah. it is, like... Of course you're going to look back, you
1: yeah. know? Yeah. And also speaking about like these sort of um, hesitation, Lot's wife is referenced by Jesus in Luke chapter 17, verse 32, as a warning not to waver in one's faith. So like, don't look back. Fair. Don't waver in your faith. You have to keep going forward.
0: Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Then there are a
1: lot of um, scholars that interpreted her looking back as the sign that she herself is a sinful woman. And because Sodom and Gomorrah is associated specifically with sexual sin in a lot of ways, that she is a sexually sinful woman. And so a lot of the time, many Christian scholars, including St. Jerome, who was like a very famous early Christian scholar, he, um, I think, made a really like important version of the Bible. Anyway, he said that he used, like, her example as a way to encourage, like, people to follow an ascetic lifestyle, an ascetic mm-hmm. lifestyle, and to, you know, not have sex, to remain chaste, and to not, like, long for material, like, goods and comforts and pleasures and stuff. Yeah. And actually, something interesting in um, Islam, in the Quran, is that in the story is different. Lot's wife does not flee with her husband um, at the destruction of the city, but is destroyed with everyone else. Mm-hmm. So the guilt and, like, the fact that she's guilty and sinful is pretty inherent in that. Like, she isn't even considered a po- possibly able to be saved.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. Is it is is she particularly important in Islam? It seems to me like she's kind of more important in Christianity, but... I mean, she's not...
1: Again, she's only mentioned in, like, that one sentence. And then she's, like, referenced because and like is like watch out don't be like this woman but she's not a huge like the important figure what's actually more significant is that she became more of an interesting figure for like scholars and like literary figures yeah and throughout the time so yeah but so i've listed like some of the more traditional classical interpretations so far but like what are your
0: thoughts so far I mean, I have things that, like, I assume that you're going to talk about. (laughs) Like how, I mean, the analysis is based around, like, you don't know exactly what was going on. Like, you don't know what her motivation was to turn around or exactly why she was punished. It's all kind of speculation. And Mm -hmm. a common theme on this podcast is, like, women get the much less generous interpretations when it comes to their motivations. Mm -hmm. And, like, that that tracks in terms of like, oh, she was a sinner. She was longing to go back to her, go back to her like den of sin, even though it was being destroyed because she was so sinful. Mm-hmm. But like, like you said, it is a very human thing to like look back at your home as you're fleeing it. She's gonna see it for the last time. That's extremely sad, even if it is a bad place. Mm-hmm. And obviously, there's an Ophrys and Eurydice parallel there, being told not mm-hmm. to look back, and then looking back and getting punished. Yeah, I mean, I think it's
1: difficult because, like, I in a way, I completely agree. I do think she is being punished because, like, it's hard to view looking back and being turned into a pillar of salt as anything that could be perceived as positive. So she is being punished, and then the question is for what? And therefore, like, I don't know, I kind of prefer the looking upon God's glory and being
0: destroyed thing just because I think it's interesting because, because it's interesting yeah um but like I, I mean like she couldn't handle it like physically as a human or like yeah because she was punished by God like you're not allowed to see
1: I mean I think it's I would I personally like prefer the like humans can't look upon God's true form sort of story that is generally told at least in mm-hmm. Indiana Jones movies um <laughs> but
0: <laughs> I haven't seen Indiana Jones movies
1: Oh. Well, anyways,
0: God is there.
1: Oh yeah. Um
0: yeah, Villigious but we can't get into we they? can't get
1: into that now. Um <laughs> it's about like a lot of like biblical artifacts and stuff, like the ark of the covenant oh, and fair. like the holy grail and things like that. Oh. Um and it takes place during World War II and a bunch of nazis get their faces melted off by God
0: and it's pretty good. Oh, that's pretty fun.
1: Yeah. Um but anyways, we can't get into the religious <laughs> religious symbolism of, of indiana jones right now that's a whole other topic um but anyway <laughs> so yeah like i agree i can't like disagree with scholars and that it seems like a punishment but i feel like we can also just disagree with the message like if the message is looking back is bad i can say well yeah i kind of disagree with that you know like this is you know this is a religious text it has certain ideas and probably morals that it's trying to convey to the readers and i can be like well i disagree with that
0: particular one you know yeah but it's entirely up to interpretation because it's so open and it's so vague and short and it's
1: that... literally just one sentence like yeah um and also like christians in the middle ages were looking for any reason to vilify women and tell people to not have sex so like exactly yeah, so going back to the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and its um associations with like the um fundamental Christian movement and um, homophobia, I actually found an interesting like gay interpretation of the story. And so, um, in Heather Love's work, Feeling Backwards, she describes the story of Sodom and Gomorrah as a monument to destruction, an emblem of eternal regret due to being cut off from her family and future, and a deep sense of loss that many queer people experience. However, mm-hmm. love also argues that she, that Lot's wife serves as a very important reminder for the LGBT community because she demonstrates that we can't let ourselves be ruined by the sorrows of the past, but we also need to look forward to the future and the creation of the better of a better world. Yeah, but also this doesn't mean we can't acknowledge we shouldn't acknowledge the past at all, but rather the past, present, and future should be celebrated and honored together. So in this interpretation of Lot's wife, I think is interesting and in that we can't, keep holding on to the past that the past like if you get stuck on the past and can't let go of the past that will drag you down is something i i agree with yeah you know that's a that is a sentiment that i can support and so like the idea that we can't just be stuck in the past we have to keep going forward into the future is like yeah that sounds that I, i agree with and i like that how heather love like interprets that specifically for like the gay lib movement and stuff and Another thing that is interesting um and a slightly less positive side of Lot's wife, which sort of plays into what I talked about earlier when I said that Lot's wife be like a potential monument that could be her, what became a pilgrimage site, is that She kind of became a symbol of colonialism for Christian imperialists. In particular, she sort of represented um, a kind of ideal or idealized feminized figure lost in the perceived chaotic and savage wilderness of the lands they were invading. Like, for example, she was seen as standing in the, quote, wild and dangerous deserts of Arabia. And also in colonial accounts, um, colonizers would reference the experience of looking back at their old lives while entering the wilds of the wildernesses they were entering beyond. Those are huge quotes, obviously, around wilds and wildernesses. So they put themselves
0: in the shoes of Lot's wife? Lot's wife, yeah. That's interesting. If they were also vilifying her for being sinful.
1: Well, this is like a lot later. This is in the 19th century. So like peak imperialist era, but... And it also sort of represented um, in many ways this kind of like lost glorious civilization that no longer existed, but people sought to uncover. This is a time when archaeology is becoming a really big thing, especially in like for the British and also in a pretty unethical way a lot of the time at this point. And mm-hmm. especially like digs in places like Egypt and Palestine, like the work of white people to try and uncover the lost, like glorious civilizations of like primarily people of color, like and she sort of represents that while also ignoring like the very real like living nations and like civilizations of people who still exist on those lands to this day and that are simultaneously being like impressed and viewed as less than and otherized by the people, like by the colonizers. So they
0: they use her her potential monument as pillar of salt as like an excuse to. To invade lands because they were Christian, not like as an excuse
1: to invade, but she sort of became like a symbol. Because okay, sorry, this is a okay, sorry. Backing up, backing up. I forgot to mention this thing. Well, there was like a monument that was seen as like a a monument for Lot's wife. That was like Lot's wife that was considered that was written about, but by like the nineteen the eighteen hundreds, it wasn't really known where it was, so they would go like looking for it
0: to To find a pillar of salt and be like, that's her.
1: Yes, got it. And so, in that way, she sort of became like the symbol of these lost civilizations that they were hoping to uncover, while also simultaneously oppressing uh, the very real people that still lived on these lands, whose like
0: that makes lives sense. they were
1: destroying through their like exploration and imperial like conquests. And like as I sort of talked about before, um, Lot's wife is seen as kind of a border figure in general. She's on that border between like damnation and salvation, and she just turns around at that last moment. And so in the book Imperial Leather, Race, Gender, and Sexuality in the Colonial Contest by Anne McClintock, she argues that European travelers and writers feminize borders in their writings and use female figures and feminized monuments as ways to orient themselves. And sort of the concept of discovery on the border between what is known and what is seen is like strange and unknown takes on a kind of erotic quality. And so in that way, you can sort of see the ways that they talk about finding the lost figure of Lot's wife um, and also
0: mm-hmm.
1: like exploring these and being like Lot's wife on the edges of these quote unquote untamed wildernesses as kind of taking on like this sort of erotic quality as well. Interesting. And so finally Lot's wife as I said before has become a hugely symbolic figure in literature like I she's been referenced in probably countless books a pretty popular image of, like, Lot's wife looking back, but either at something, like, in a physical sense, either in something in a metaphorical sense, like looking back at one's memories. And so some prominent examples that were featured on the Wikipedia page were that she's referenced in Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut and a short story by Shirley Jackson called Pillar of Salt. And both of these stories have to do with the destruction of cities. For, like, Kurt Vonnegut's uh, Slaughterhouse-Five has to do with the bombing of Dresden during World War II. And so that's sort of, like, what the reference is about, is, like, the destruction of these cities. But the one I really wanted to talk about, which is the story, the piece of work that inspired me to do this episode in the first place, is the poem Lot's Wife by Anna Akhmatova, um, which I shall now read to you. Okay, so this is Lot's Wife, um, and it's translated by Stanley Kunitz and Max Hayward. And the just man trailed God's shining agent over a black mountain in his giant track, while a restless voice kept harrying his woman. It's not too late. You can still look back at the red towers of your native Sodom, the square where where once you sang, the spinning shed, at the empty window set in the tall house where sons and daughters blessed your marriage bed. A single glance, a sudden dart of pain, stitching her eyes before she made a sound. Her body flaked into transparent salt and her swift legs rooted to the ground. Will grieve for this woman. Does she not seem too insignificant for our concern? Yet in my heart, I I never will deny her, who suffered death because she chose to turn.
0: It's a nice poem.
1: Yeah. So as you can see by this poem, a lot of the literary interpretations of Lot's Wife take on a much more sympathetic view than the interpretations from biblical scholars in the Middle Ages. And so in Lot's Wife, the poem by Anna Akhmatova. She is writing this poem right around the end of the Russian Civil War, which is when uh, the Bolsheviks took over and began establishing the USSR. And at that time, there was a mass emigration out of Russia of people who did not want to live under the Bolshevik rule, and a lot of people mm-hmm. who were like either doing self-imposed exile or being exiled. And Many of these people um, were writers who did not agree with the Bolshevik ideology. There was a became a massive um, expat literary scene that sprung up from Russian writers who no longer lived in Russia. And Anna Akhmatova did not choose to leave Russia, but she also was not fully down with the Bolsheviks and did suffer for that later in life, although she was never executed for her opinions. But in this way, you can sort of interpret this poem as... Her sympathizing with the people who choose to leave Russia at the end of the war because of this great political upheaval and sort of the experience of people who are leaving their home to never return to it, most likely, and sympathizing with the people who decide to turn back and just look at their home one last time. And I mean, I think that sort of just gets to what we were talking about before of like how human it is to just want to look at your home one last time.
0: Yeah, Definitely.
1: And I think, like, when we talk about people who, I mean, this is also incredibly relevant now because there's also a mass group of um, emigration from Russia happening, like, right now because of the war in Ukraine. Like, it's easy to consider, like, oh, well, Russia's bad. Of course, you don't want to live there. But also, like, the actual pain of, like, leaving your homeland not by choice and to never be able to return to it again is, like, really
0: difficult and, like,
1: and destruct destroying yeah regardless
0: of whether it's like a good place to live like it's your home
1: it's your home and you might still have family there and you might like never be able to return and it's like really difficult and so I think that like there's the aspect of yeah of course you're gonna look back and like yeah we are can fully relate to these people who just take that chance to look back one last time even if it means their destruction because it's just so much
0: you know Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. And, like, the grief of having to leave your homeland. Yeah. And, like, Lot's wife potentially turning back fully with the knowledge that that she's about to die.
1: Yeah, which is also a really interesting, I think, interpretation of the story is that it was intentional and that she couldn't bear to leave
0: her homeland. And that she was, like, immortalized, sort of, like, turning back to look at. The destruction of her homeland. Yeah,
1: and then becoming part of the To be honest, I don't know exactly what
0: a pillar of salt is supposed to look like.
1: Yeah. So, like, there's a scene in Supernatural where someone gets turned into... Stop, stop. You're not allowed to laugh. Not allowed to laugh. Where someone gets turned into a pillar of salt, and they, like, just get turned into, like, road salt crystals and dissolve. And so that's what I always imagined. But then it's like, no, she's an actual, like, geographic landform.
0: Yeah, like, kind of rock looking. I was kind of confused by that.
1: Yeah, like salt rock, like like a salt lick, you know, that animals yeah, like, like. Sort of
0: frozen in like a somewhat human looking formation yeah. of just like salt.
1: Yeah. And so, yeah, that's an interesting idea as well.
0: Yeah, like of her being being immortalized just in, and also like that, since she did that and since she turned back and got turned into salt, like she doesn't have to leave. She never has to leave.
1: Yeah, which is very true. One must imagine Lot's wife happy, etc. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, another thing that you've pointed out, Lizzie, um, and that other people have pointed out, is that the story of Lot's wife has often been compared to that of Orpheus and Eurydice. And in fact, my directing professor made this exact comparison about a week ago. (laughs) But is it an accurate comparison? One thing I want to talk about briefly is that Orpheus and Eurydice is not even the only mythological story besides Lot's Wife that involves looking back and being in destruct- something destructive happening. Like, we had a story, I think mm-hmm. it was in the Cherokee Sun Goddess episode. Yeah, no, I was also the thinking the of that. Goddess, exactly.
0: Where she looked back, or was it looking back? I think she wasn't allowed to look.
1: She wasn't allowed to look, uh, like, allowed to look in the was, box, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Her, her daughter was being taken from hell in, like, a box, and she wasn't allowed yeah. to look in the box.
1: Yeah, well, but like she looking. did because she wanted
0: to see if her daughter was there. Yeah, yeah. like, lo- like looking. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, as a, and that being a bad thing and getting punished for that. So this isn't even the only story. Of course, obviously, Orpheus and Eurydice is the most famous version, and like, I love a good Orpheus and Eurydice retelling. I think it's very interesting. Definitely, but yeah, but is it an accurate comparison? This is an open question because I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Lizzie. In the original story, why does Orpheus turn around to look at Eurydice? What are your thoughts?
0: Well, obviously, we don't know 100% with certainty. Like, I've, the obvious is just, like, he wanted to make sure that she was actually there and he wasn't being fooled. Or just, like, because he loved her, you know? And, like, that's just the kind of human response. Of course, he's going to look back because he loves her. Like, the fact that he looked back, even though it ended up killing her, was Mm -hmm. an act of love. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this
1: particular part of the story of Orpheus looking back is something that's been interpreted and reinterpreted and redone in many different ways. It's like probably everyone's favorite part of the myth.
0: It's only the most famous part.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, it's been talked about, like in Portrait of a Lady on Fire. They talk about it a lot, like Orpheus choosing to let him look back and things like that. But I mean, I think it's interesting because I think in a way, both stories have to do with doubt. I think one could say for sure. Orpheus turning back does seem like a doubtful thing, not knowing that she was there. And Lot's wife having doubts about her future, possibly. But also, I do feel like Orpheus's decision to turn back probably has less relating to a desire for the past than Lot's wife does. Although, like, maybe not. Like, the way I see it is Lot's wife is looking back at the land that she used to live on and sort of, like, thinking, what am I, like, where am I going from here? Whereas Orpheus is, like, looking back to see the person that he loves, but also, like, theoretically, if he doesn't look back, he can be with this person again.
0: But also, if he doesn't look back, how can he know for 100% certain that she's even there?
1: Yeah, so then there's, like, the doubt. But, so, yeah, I mean, again, I think that, like, of course, there is the message of, like, don't look back, trust the future, keep going forward or whatever. But I think that the motivations, I mean, of course, this depends on interpretation because the motivation is all up into interpretation. Um, because mm-hmm. we don't know, we can't say. But I think that like, there it's not a perfect comparison, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Like, and that's my my thoughts on the subject.
0: Yeah, because well, I mean, it's not that she could do it. As long as she could save her home by by looking back or by not looking back.
1: Yeah, it was getting destroyed anyhow. But she just wanted to see it one last time before it was destroyed. You know.
0: Yeah. And then like Orpheus
1: was looking back. I mean, like you could. There's... A, we can't, like, go into a full orpheus uradus thing, because that's a whole other episode to talk about. Definitely. But, like, you could think of, you know, Orpheus thinking, well, I don't know if she's there, but if she is there, at least I'll see her one more time or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, the cost-benefit of analysis of, like, not looking back at all versus looking back and seeing her, but then losing her again.
0: Yeah, definitely. I don't know.
1: But anyways, ultimately, I just... I just feel connected to Lot's wife in, like, a certain way. I just really, like, find her story very compelling, which is interesting because she literally has, like, one sentence of story. Um, Yeah. And it's also really interesting how this one sentence of story has, like, truly inspired and, like, found its way into so many different, like, works of literature. There was an essay I was reading that I ended up not really using because it was just all about different, like, works of literature that incorporated her story, and I was like... This is very interesting, but also like not helping me on the mythological interpretation side of things. So, yeah, it's used in a lot of different literature. It's like a question of memory and it's a question of like a question of obedience, a question of values and Mm -hmm. things like that. And so I think that like, you know, being punished for doing something that is very much human nature is a very interesting and something that I don't love, but then also, in a way, I do understand the message of like to not hold on to the past because I think holding on to the past or always wanting to look to the past can be very dangerous, but also, I understand the dese- the draw to look to the past as well, and so there's just like, Are you supposed that to, like you're thing. supposed to
0: just forget everything that's ever happened to you like it's important to look back in the past as well, like mm-hmm. not not to dwell, but yeah, you can't just look towards the future all the time,
1: yeah, like the past can inform the future. But you also can't only want the things to be like they were in the past. Yeah. And so I just think her story is really interesting and kind of sad. And I think about her a lot. I mean, it is very sad. Bad pun. Oi. <laughs> <laughs> Oops.
0: Took me a second Unintentional. There.
1: Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I'm a fan. I'm thinking about her.
0: And that's all I got. And in a way, it's like another tragedy that she gets literally like half a sentence. Mm -hmm. Like, her whole tragic fate is reduced to, like, a couple words, Mm -hmm. really. Like, surely there's, like, more significance to her death. Because it it is significant. Yeah. And you want your pain to be significant. And in a way, like,
1: and her story is memorialized. Or it was for a while. I don't know if she's still there. It's kind of unclear But also, I
0: guess every single biblical story is short. Like, I was surprised when I learned the Cain, Cain and Abel story is, like, one smallish paragraph mm-hmm.
1: yeah I mean considering that's how the famous thing. it is yeah these like little stories become so powerful because they're I mean people think about them so much
0: yeah her story is really interesting like in a way like the the brevity of her appearance is exactly what lends it to so much interpretation mm-hmm. so yeah. even though it is small that's what makes yeah. it so ripe for analysis
1: yeah, and what's also interesting is that despite like the hundreds of years of people being like this woman sucks, you shouldn't be like her. Nowadays, people write about her a lot in a much more sympathetic way. Like people yeah. understand her, even though the we're tide told has like turned. she sucks, don't be like her. It's like, what? I am like her. What about her? Yeah,
0: it? and like she was leaving her life of sin if she was living a life of sin. So like the fact that mm-hmm. she looked back doesn't necessarily like. I mean, that makes it so that she never moved on from yeah. her city of sin. Mm-hmm. She never got a chance to.
1: Yeah, she never got a chance to. It's really the thing of it, right?
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, very interesting story. Thank you, Zoe. Thanks for listening. Please feel free to subscribe, leave a review, listen to our other episodes, and we will see you back here in two weeks. Thank you. Myth of Ladies podcast is produced, researched, and presented by Elizabeth LaCroix and Zoe Kenninger. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Mytholadies and visit us on our website at Mytholadies.com. Our cover art is by Helena Cayo. Our music was written and performed by Icarus Tyree. Thanks for listening. See you in two weeks.